Thank you, Marcus, for reading that portion of scripture. God bless each one of you, and welcome to our service this morning. Before we get into the message, I want to thank the church for the generous offering. Um, I sometimes feel a little bit unsure of how to respond. Uh, we do appreciate it, and your generosity was gracious. Um, but but I, one of the things I'm not always sure of, I think our Chester County mail takes about a week longer to, than the, the Lancaster County mail because uh, Floyd, if you remember, thanked the church maybe a week or two ago, and and um, then I felt like, well, should I thank the church too, knowing that the check is coming but not sure when it's coming, and so we had some anticipation there, right? And Either way, uh, thank you for your generosity, and we don't mean to um, be ungrateful if we don't thank you for it or if we thank you later than we should. Also, welcome back to the youth and the advisors and those from your trip. We are glad that uh, you had a good trip and arrived back home safely, and we anticipate a um, service this evening to hear more of your stories. Uh, thank you, Dwayne, for the short story that, that you shared this morning in your devotional. <clears throat> Second Peter 3 talks about a time that is yet to come, a time that is ahead of us. It's a prophecy. It's, it's a time that um, causes us a lot of wonder and, and um, uncertainty. And, you know, if we're not ready, if our sins haven't gone before us, like the Bible says, uh, it can cause fear in our, in our minds. And I remember a time in my life when it did that, um, when I didn't really um, get excited about the thought of the second coming of Christ. And, and so it, it caused some um, uh, fear in, in my heart. And I'm thankful today that instead, uh, with, with uh, having accepted Christ as my Savior and realizing that my sins are washed under his blood and taken away from as far as the east is from the west, that I can look forward to that day with anticipation and excitement. The message, the title of the message this morning is simply Anticipation. Is there a time of year that um, is more exciting than Christmas time? Think about it. Uh, you children, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? Does anybody want to say, what, what is exciting about December? Oh, it's a Christmas program. That's what it is. You can't wait. What's exciting about Christmas time? What are you looking for? Okay. Thank you, Mary. You're in your second childhood, aren't you? Thanks. <laughs> getting, giving gifts and getting gifts. That's what we look forward to. It really is, if we're honest, right? And there's a lot of anticipation and excitement that builds up around that. And in our lives, we face different times of, 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 of milestones that we look forward to. You know, when we were little and we turned three, we were looking forward to turning three. We could go to Sunday school, right? And then... Um, a little later, it was school, you know, six years old and looking forward to going to school. Can't wait to go to school. And, and then there's, you know, that we could go on down, teenagers. And, and I remember a time when, you know, I was kind of hoping that Jesus would wait to come back until I get my driver's license, you know, and, and vain and, and short-sighted as I was or am. And, and then, you know, then, then I started having a hankering for this lady and, and um, we started seeing each other, and then I kind of was hoping that he would wait to come again till after our wedding. And so there's things like that, you know, that we look forward to with anticipation. And what does it do for us? It does something for us. What is anticipation? 
It is the act of looking forward or the visualization of a future event. Uh, according to Wikipedia, and I'll share it just simply as that, not as a fact, but this is what Wikipedia said. Anticipation is an emotion involving pleasure or anxiety in considering or awaiting an expected event. Anticipatory emotions include fear, anxiety, hope, and trust. And when the anticipated event fails to occur, it results in disappointment for a positive event or relief for a negative one. Someone else has said anticipation is a central motivating force in everyday life. The normal process of imaginative anticipation of or speculation about the future. To enjoy one's life, one needs belief in time as promising medium to do things in time as a promising medium to do things in. One needs to be able to suffer the pains and pleasures of anticipation and deferral. Again, giving this as an idea and not necessarily a fact, but I think we can resonate with that, right? Anticipation is a central motivating force in our everyday life. The Bible has another way of saying it, without hope the people perish, right? I'd like to spend some time this morning looking through so briefly looking at some Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Jesus and then brief look at some of the lives of the people surrounding his coming and how we can the lessons that we can how we, how we can see that they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah and how and the lessons that we can learn from their lives as a result so looking at the Old Testament then and some prophecies again not digging deep into these but mentioning them briefly Genesis 3:15 sin had already entered the world the fellowship between God and the perfect communion and fellowship between God and man was severed by sin and God promised in in Genesis 3:15 that I better read it And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, promising someone who would bring victory over sin and darkness that was brought, uh, the sin and despair that was brought on, I'm sorry, the darkness and despair that was brought on by the sin that Adam and Eve had committed. God promised a solution. And we could go down a bunny trail, I suppose, if we, and, and with the age-old question is, was salvation God's plan B? Or was that in his original plan? Why did he plan it this way? And we'll leave it at that. But I believe that God is sovereign, and he does indeed have a plan and a purpose for everything that he has done. In Genesis chapter 12, 3, then we have the story of Abram being called out of all that was familiar asking him to leave his family and follow God's leading without knowing where that would take him, promising to make of him a great nation, a great name, and a great influence that would affect all the families of the earth. Incredible promise that God gave Abram in a time when, you know, it was before the law was given. What was the religious 
atmosphere of the day, I'm not prepared to speak on that. But God spoke to Abram clearly, called him out of his homeland, away from his family, to follow him to a place that he didn't name. Abram didn't know where he was going, promising in the process to make of him a great nation, a great name, and that his posterity would influence all the families of the earth. Incredible when we think of that. You know, so many times in some of these old Bible stories, we think of these, these people as, um, how should we say? But I'm not quite sure how to put it in words, but, but they were ordinary people just like me and you. And can you imagine if you were sitting in your office one day and God visited you and said, I want you to go, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just follow me. I mean, Abram was an ordinary person. He really was. And God used him in a marvelous way. And that promise carried him through the years. I mean, it was many years till even had a son. Isaiah 7, 14, moving on. In a dark time, in the, in, the, in, the, in the life of the children of God, of, of the Jewish people, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. During a dark time in a nation, and God gives a glimmer of hope of a God with us that is to come. Isaiah 9, 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. I'm going to turn in my Bible to Isaiah because there's a few more verses that we're going to be looking at in Isaiah. Verse 1, Isaiah 9 talks that nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. Verse 2 says the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them hath light shine. A prophecy, a promise of light that is coming after darkness. Verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Can you imagine with me can, how many people, I wonder sometimes, how many people in the days, in the weeks, in the years, in the months after this, after Isaiah said this, did they wonder? Well, I wonder who that's going to be. Unto us a child is born. A virgin shall conceive. How will this be? When will it be? Is it my son? The questions that the people must have had, may have had, if they were reading the, the reading these, if they kept after these words of prophecies. Names are given to this promise, and details of his government are given. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Thy king cometh unto thee just and holy, We'll turn to that as well. Verse 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the, a colt, the foal of an ass. A prophecy we know today referring to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem many, many years later. Micah 5, 2 references where he's going to be born, but thou Bethlehem afraid of, though thou be little among the heathen. See, I better turn to that. Thou Bethlehem afraid of, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He's going to be born. He's going to come out of Bethlehem. Hosea 11.1 1 uh, talks about calling his son out of Egypt. Matthew 2.23 And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. He shall be called a Nazarene. So we have three things about Jesus. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He'll be called out of Egypt, and he's called a Nazarene. Prophets prophesied these things. And I can almost imagine, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, that there were the rabbis of the day deliberating and debating over the above three prophecies, trying to figure out how will this be? How can it be? How is this going to work out? Well, surely he's coming from Bethlehem. No, but here it says he's coming from Egypt. No, but he's going to be called a Nazarene. And then we have 400 years of silence with no direct word from God. And I wonder, did the people remember the prophecies? Did they still talk about them in those 400 years? We come to Luke chapter 1. And you can turn in your Bibles because we're going to be spending some time here in Luke 1 and Luke 2. And Luke proceeds to to write the things he saw. Verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And Luke goes on to pen his version of the life of Jesus Christ here on earth. In verses 26 through 28 the angel came to visit Mary I'll read it and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, 
and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and she is the sixth month. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. We sang in one song today, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. There's a number of prophecies that are fulfilled specifically in these verses that I just read. Verses 31 and 35, the idea of a virgin conceiving and bearing a child, directly connecting with Isaiah 7.14, where it said, a virgin shall conceive. Verses 32 through 33, directly connecting to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. The throne of David being given to Jesus. And then we see Mary's response in verse 38. Be it unto me according to thy word. An expression of resignation to the will of God and faith in the promise. Did she understand what was happening? Did she make the connections with the prophecies like we can today? One could almost assume that she was anticipating the coming of the Messiah just by her response. Verses 39 through 56 record Mary's visit with her cousin Elizabeth, a story in and of itself. And in verses 42 through 45, Elizabeth pronounces a blessing on Mary. And she calls her in verse 43, And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And in verse 55, she connects what is happening to her with God's promise to Abraham. I'm sorry, I'm going to step ahead of myself. Back to Elizabeth. Pronouncing a blessing on Mary and recognizing what was going on inside of her as a fulfillment of prophecy. I really believe that she did. She she was there in wonder at the fact that the mother of her Lord would come to see her. And then verses 46 through 56, the song of Mary. Mary's response to Elizabeth's words. And beautiful verses there that you could take time to read. 
But notice her response. Verse 48. A few things I'm going to pull out of that response. Verse 48. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Just hang on to that thought for a moment. And let's look at verse 55. As he spoke, this is Mary speaking, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. I believe that Mary must have understood. For sure, I believe that she was familiar with the scriptures because she's quoting them and referencing them, scriptures. So was this written down or was this passed on verbally? But she knew the prophecies and she made the connection. And I think that's amazing. I did not research how many years it would have been from the time of Abraham until the time of Jesus. But I really do believe that Elizabeth and Mary were anticipating the Messiah, and it gave them courage in the roles that they saw themselves playing in the, in the story. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, is going, tells us this, of, of what Joseph was going through during this time. Joseph Being a just man, I wasn't going to make a big deal out of this. was just going to kind of put her away privately, verse 19 in Matthew 1 says. But he was visited also by Gabriel, and things were explained to him. And then we see Joseph also responding in submission and surrender to the will of God and the leading of God. angel told Joseph now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall conceive behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph surrendering himself, submitting himself to the will of God. And there's a lot of speculation. One can only imagine um, what Joseph may have faced in the coming days and weeks and months. The uh, sideways glances, the finger pointing, the comments, the questions that he must have faced. And yet he submitted himself to God's will and God's way. <clears throat> Moving on to the story and going back to the book of Luke, verses 8 through 20. One of the most favorite stories in Scripture, I do believe, is the story of the shepherds on the hillside. Keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel came and visited them. And then when he was finished, a heavenly host came and sang before them. Their response to the message seems to indicate to me that they also were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And here they were on the hillside just another night out with the sheep and this marvelous message coming from the angels and this whole thing is unraveling right before their eyes. Notice verse 15 especially. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go now. Let us now go 
even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. The hillside was dark again. Quietness had returned. The angels had left. The sheep were back to their normal bang or whatever sheep do at night. And I can almost see this group of shepherds, I don't know how many there was, and just kind of stunned for a moment and looking at each other, possibly shaking themselves a little bit, and they said, let's go. And they went. They didn't tarry long, but they went. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. I believe that they were familiar with the prophecies and that they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And in verse 20, they returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Moving on into chapter, in chapter 2, 25 through 35, is Simeon's anticipation. Verse 26 tells us that he had received a special, if I can say it, a special revelation by the Holy Ghost that he wouldn't, that he would see the Messiah before he sees death. And now here Joseph and Mary were with Jesus and he pronounces a blessing on them, blessed God and recognizing Jesus for who he was. And he refers in verse 32 to the prophecy in Isaiah uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2. In verses 36 through 38, we have Anna. Anna's anticipation, recognizing what she, it seems like she walked in on this scene of Simeon praising God, blessing Joseph and Mary, recognizing Jesus for who he was, and Anna walked up onto the scene, and she also recognized it. Verse 38, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So Anna was watching. I believe she was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. She was familiar with the, the, the prophecies. And apparently there was others as well because she, it, it tells us that she went and spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. I really believe that the, the prophecies were handed down from, from generation to generation to generation. It was something that was prominent in the life of a Jewish child, to be taught these things from little up. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 2, we, we see the wise men in verses 1 through 12. The wise men from the east coming, obviously well-versed in prophecy and apparently connecting the star they saw with Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. A lot of speculation here, too, as to where these men came from, how far they had traveled. But either way, they saw, <clears throat> they made a connection between a prophecy and the star, and they knew that they need to go to Jerusalem to look for the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so that's where they went. Obviously, living in anticipation and willing to go to great lengths and expense to see him. Now consider the difference that anticipation made in the lives of the people that we just talked about. Remembering 
that anticipation is a central motivating force in everyday life. Abraham's anticipation of a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God, kept him faithful throughout all the uncertainties and unknowns of his life. Mary, in humility and praise, submitted to God's working and power. Joseph, in surrender to the will of God, maintained his godliness and integrity. Zacharias and Elizabeth rejoiced in the expectation of the birth of Jesus and rejoice at the opportunity to have him witnessed that he was here. The shepherds went and they worshiped and they witnessed. Simeon and Anna rejoiced and spread the word. I think I said it wrong about Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, rejoice at the expectation of the birth of Jesus. Simeon and Anna rejoiced and spread the word after they saw that this prophecy, this part of the prophecy had been fulfilled. The wise men searched diligently until they found him. Today, as followers of a long-anticipated, of the long-anticipated and now present Messiah, in a lot of ways, we also anticipate many of the things that our brothers and sisters in the Bible anticipated. And I think I overlooked part of my notes in the, in the opening <clears throat> Considering the condition of the nation of Israel at the time of the coming of Jesus, the nation of Israel was in disarray. Jews, as Jews, they were divided into at least four different religious factions, not convinced that any of them were actually working. They were convinced that the world system and empires didn't work, and they were frustrated with the current Roman rule. Today, as followers of the long-anticipated and now present Messiah, in a lot of ways, we also anticipate many of the same things that our brothers and sisters in the Bible anticipated. We also live in a time of many religious ideologies, to the point that some have become disillusioned and have fallen away. We also are convinced that the world's systems and empires don't work. We are also frustrated with the current state of political affairs. We also look for a city whose builder and maker is God. We anticipate the coming of the Redeemer who will set up an everlasting kingdom. We also look for a kingdom of righteousness and peace. And we also read and study prophecies and puzzle over how these things will be. We have different ideas, different versions of how we expect the end of time as we know it today to be. I think the challenge for us today is are our sights set on the eternal as Abraham's were? Do we live in humble obedience and submission to the will of God as Mary and Joseph did? Are we rejoicing in hope and anticipation of the coming Redeemer as Zacharias and Elizabeth did? Are we faithfully, consistently serving God in his work as Simeon and Anna were? And are we diligently studying scripture and searching for him until we find him as the wise men did? 2 Peter chapter 3 warns us of a few things. 
Verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. We can expect that. Scoffers mocking at and questioning the promising, the promise of his coming. These people are self-centered, walking after their own lusts. Mocking at, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are just like they always were. Willingly, they're ignorant of the scriptures and of the word of God. Willingly, they're ignorant of the prophecies in the past that have been fulfilled, of the fact that if we study the, if we read the stories in the Bible and see the, yes, if we read and study the stories in the Bible, we see God's faithfulness. We see that God keeps his word. The scoffers willingly ignoring the word of God and the stories of old that testify of God's faithfulness. But if we diligently seek him and his word, we can be confident, as Second Peter 3 says, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The day of the Lord will come, and the earth as we know it will pass away. God will keep his promise, whether we understand it or not. And we have the opportunity to look forward, to anticipate. Does that power us? Does that motivate us? Is that our driving force? Are we focused on the anticipation that Jesus is coming again to call the church back home to be his bride? Second Peter 3, I'll read verses 11 through 18. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for... Notice how many times the word look or looking is used in these verses. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent. Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction." Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's kneel for prayer.